glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, <clears throat> preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it, And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said unto you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. That's key to this text, by the way. Verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they, which when they... Uh, which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on good, the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with Now, there's a few variations as far as the details. No variations. There are no contradictions in God's Word. God gives us variations of account that we might have a full picture. One of the things that stands out to me is the fruit-bearing ground. In some, it bears 30-fold, some 60, some 100. Some uh, Bible teachers and preachers and students of the Word of God puzzle. Why some 30, some 60, some 100? I don't know the full answer to that. I know this. If you get saved when you're 75 and you die when you're 79, you're probably going to bear less fruit than the guy that got saved when he was 10 and dies when he's 80. Some some ground bears more fruit than others. And so we don't have to puzzle over those things. I do want us to focus, though, on these four types of ground this morning. And again, we commented on them some last Sunday in the Sunday School lesson but this morning, I intended to follow up today's Sunday school lesson. Let me just kind of explain some background. I thought today I would follow up and focus in on the thorny ground. There's a great lesson for us there, and I'll seek to speak to it this morning in the message. But the Lord didn't give me liberty to do that. Instead, I felt and sensed the direction to preach this message in this morning's hour and deal with these four grounds. We're going to label these four types of ground. I think uh, it is vitally important that this is a parable of the... There's so much to learn. It's a parable of the sower. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief sower. He is the chief sower 
of the Word of God. When He came, He constantly, He spake the words that the Father gave Him. He would speak the, the words of Scripture from Old Testament, and then He would give understanding to those things and uh, incorporate those truths into the way He lived and demonstrated. And then, of course, He lived a sinless, perfect life in fulfillment of the law and offered that sinless life up as a sacrifice in fulfillment of God's law and God's foreordained plan for our salvation. Today, the Lord Jesus Christ still lives to give understanding to His words. His words are recorded for us, uh, both His own words out of His own mouth in our Bibles, the words that He gave us through the apostles after His departure. We have His words, and He lives to give light to those words. But may I say, with the Scripture being inspired and preserved by God, the Lord Jesus Christ living, the Spirit of God working, uh, he, is the, he is the person of the Godhead at work today. The Lord Jesus Christ is physically in heaven with the Father. Uh, you say, explain that. I cannot. It's just a truth. I can't explain to you how he in a body of flesh and bones is in heaven and will return, but that's what the Scripture says, and therefore that's what is true. And the working of God today is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not... He is not, uh, he is present, and no doubt he's omnipresent, but he is uniquely and specifically dwelling in the bodies of believers. Saved people today are the tools through which God is doing his work. The Christian you know next door, the Christian next to you in the pew, the preacher in the pulpit, the preacher in other places, God is using Christians. We're the body and the temple of the Holy Ghost, and it's through us today that He works. And having said all that, we have all these things in place. We have the seed. God has given us perfect, pure seed that we can go sow. Why then are, are you not seeing these dynamic results? You understand, nothing new under the sun. It's the same today as it was then. You think about the Lord Jesus. Uh, one of the men that I, I read gave some comment on this. Uh, he said the Lord Jesus' ministry was picking up steam. In Mark chapter 4, the crowds were so thronging him that he had to go and get on a boat so he could speak to them from the water so they could hear him and there was room for him to speak. He was getting a large following. And the Lord Jesus knew what that crowd was make, made up of. Most people, friends, are superficial. I'm not being cynical, I'm being truthful. Most people, uh, just by nature, were skin deep. And what the Lord understood is there was a following, but He understood that all of that following was not genuine. If today you could say how many people in our country claim to be Christians, the number would be high. If we were to do a survey of our county, it would be higher than it is in the country of people who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ. This parable refutes that claim and says that's not altogether the way it is. The seed is thrown everywhere. Listen, there's a great familiarity, not as much as there should be, but a great familiarity with the Word of God in our country today. Most people know that we believe God created the heaven and the earth. You don't have to tell people we believe that, that that's in the Bible. Most people know that in this country. And a host of other things, including the exclusivity of the gospel and that you can only be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But may I say this... How the seed enters your head is not what is important, but what is, takes place in your heart. And that's what the Lord is emphasizing here. So let's go through these grounds. Very simple thought this morning, but one that has, I believe, if we'll hear it, a profound impact, either to encourage us or perhaps to reveal a need. And let's be sensitive to the Lord. Luke chapter 8, verse 5, our first piece of ground, uh, when Jesus was asked to give a, an interpretation of this parable, you know, basically the disciples were saying is we have ears to hear. We want to hear what you meant. Luke chapter 8, verse 5, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, 
and the fowls of the air devoured it. Then he explains that in verse 12. Verse 11, he says, Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. You know what's interesting? Uh, you mentioned, if we mention Acts chapter 16 and the, uh, the Philippian jailer, when he says, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas give him uh, the larger catechism. No, they didn't actually. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Isn't that what they said? Do you realize this morning the devil believes that? He knows that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. I didn't come up with that. Somebody was wise enough to point that out. It says the devil steals the seed. Why? Lest they should believe and be saved. This is rocket science. You know what it takes for God to save you today? You have to trust him. You have to take him at his word. May I say this? Salvation is still by faith alone. Salvation from my sin, salvation from God's judgment is not by faith plus performance. Performance has its place, but not in the saving of the soul. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Why does Satan work so hard to get the word of God out of people's hearts? Because Satan is in the business of destroying, not saving. May I say this, before you leave here today, I know my own fleshly nature, by the way. Anything we pick up on here, you can recognize it in your flesh. Uh, You hear something from the Word of God, and immediately you can come up with five excuses why you shouldn't believe it. It's amazing to me. How many of you know this? Uh, When COVID first came out, I remember doing some research on the numbers. I was curious if we were being told the truth. I still have not answered all those questions. Have you? (laughs) But have you ever done this? I've been guilty of this. You do a little Google search or whatever you search on. And something pops up and you get a fact that agrees with what you thought was true. Hey, looky there. It's on Google. It's fact. Oh, yeah? People don't lie on there, do they? You read something in the Bible and you go, ah, I don't know about that. Really? Created in six literal days. Are you kidding me? Six 24-hour periods and all of this. I mean, I've been told this. Do you have any idea how many species of animals we have on planet Earth? And I go, nope. I know it's a bunch. And you're telling me God created all that in six literal days? I understand we've had, you know, subspecies and subspecies over time. But yeah, that's what I'm telling you. And you criticize the Bible. You know what's happening? The seed of God's Word is getting trampled under feet. There are a, a million feet to trample on what God says. Someone says, Jesus came, was born of a virgin. That takes a miracle. Of course it does. But you know, there's a great possibility that there is life on other planets and that they put us on this planet. Oh, really? I think that might be true. Isn't it amazing how Satan doesn't seek to steal other seed? But boy, he sure wants to rob you of what God says. God says something and we say, ah, Satan comes along and says, you don't want to believe that. You don't want to believe that. I got news for you. If I were about to kill somebody and I saw another person approaching and they they had the power to beat me up and rescue that person's life and they say, uh, who's that coming? You don't don't want to talk to them. They'll, They'll do you harm. You just pay attention to me. Satan is a destroyer. He does not want you believing what God says. Because when you do, you'll be saved. 
Not only saved from wrath to come, saved from the power of sin on your life, Satan holds a grip on you through unbelief, the rejection of the Word of God. That's how he holds us. You cannot believe a lie unless you're willing to reject truth. And so then what happens here? We'll call this the desolate ground because Jesus says it's wayside, meaning it doesn't have an apparent purpose. It's just... It's on the side of the road. It's kind of like the uh, the median on the side of the road. It's kind of like the um, uh, the shoulder on the side of the road. It's it's just there as a, a buffer zone, if you would. It's desolate ground. It has no real purpose. And so uh, it's wasteland, if you would. And verse 5 again, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. So it's not the path traveled. It's just on the wayside, and it's not intended to be garden. It's not intended to be sown. I believe this. There are people that are like this. They're just wayside people. They're they're not part of what's going on in life. They're just wayside. And I want to embellish the point. This idea is it's desolate ground. It's 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 off by itself. Some seed happened to fall on there. But what happens is, verse five goes on to say, uh, and, and sow out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, trodden down, meaning people walked on it. People walked on that seed. Now, there's some seed. It's good to step on it, get it down on the ground. But this means it's laying on the surface. It's trodden down. It's laying on the surface. And then and the Bible says, and uh, the fowls of the air devoured it. Because it's laying on the surface, it's readily seen by the fowls. Around our house, we get a lot of, of, of raven and crow activity. The land fills up over the top of the ridge, and, and there's a lot of hunting takes place. And so... But it just never ceases to amaze me. An animal can get killed on that road, maybe by a car in the morning, and by I mean, just it doesn't. Any of you hunters know what I'm talking about. You go, you go take care of an animal in the woods, and by the time you go grab your pack, here's the fowls, and they got eyes that can see from way off. And here's the thing: this seed is just laying there because it's not received into the ground. It's easily accessible and available. It's trodden underfoot so that. It's just right there laying on the surface. The, the analogy would be this. There are people that hear the word of God. Yes, it fell on their ears. Yes, they were handed a gospel tract. But they pay no attention to it. It has no place in their life. All the excuses of men and all the busyness of life, the trotting under, it never even has a chance to take root. They are so intrigued with a football game or so intrigued with their job or so intrigued with their relationship that I don't have time to think about the Word of God. And they toss that track over there somewhere and I promise you, Satan knows how to get that Word of God away from you before you believe it. Before you can ponder what God actually said, take Him at His Word so He can save you, Satan comes and snatches it away. That's desolate ground. It is rejected. Uh, the seed is rejected in this ground. The Bible says uh, in, in verse 11, in verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh the away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. I say rejected. It says it's trodden in verse 5, meaning, again, it's not inside the ground. It was never received into the heart. And then it's robbed by Satan. I'll say it again. There are people that have sat through messages that had the power to save them had they believed it. They've heard how Jesus died. They heard how he rose the dead from the dead. But they were sitting there so preoccupied with some other thing. Or every t- How many have ever done this? I know none of you have ever done this. You sat in a message, the Bible's being preached, something was said, and man, it hits you wrong because it's not what you believe. And the preacher reiterated again and read the Bible verse again. And then he read another Bible verse. And all of a sudden you realize that's what the Bible's saying. But in your mind you think, no, that can't be true because you start filling in all the ten reasons what you just heard from the Bible can't be true. 
remember visiting with a woman one day. She's a nice lady. I can still see her today and visit with her. And I talked to her at her door, me and I don't remember who was with us. And we were talking about salvation. And she declared to me she didn't believe that a loving God would send people to hell. And we discussed about hell. I said, let me ask you something. She was very um, respectful, very respectful. We were doing. I said, could I read you an account from Scripture about hell that Jesus gave? She said, sure. And she allowed me to stand there and read to her Luke chapter 16. I said, do you understand Jesus taught in a literal hell? She said, yes. I said, do you believe it? She said, no. She even came to church one time. Heard a message preached, very cordial, very nice lady. To my knowledge today, she still does not believe in a literal hell. I had a drunkard I was dealing with, trying to see him get saved. I've dealt with him many, many, many times. And one day he was here, sitting about where Colton's at. He had come by to visit me, and I'm talking to him. And I said basically the same thing to him. I said, look, you're in danger of God's judgment. Oh, I don't believe that. So you don't believe in hell? No. I said, but Jesus said, eh, and he rejected it. You know what's happening? Those folks had some way of reasoning in their mind that Satan gave them. Something like this, a loving God would never send people to a place like that. That lie that a loving God would never do that has undone, number one, the character of God and His justice and His righteousness. But that excuse has caused so many people to never lay hold of the truth of judgment. God says the Spirit of God is in the world to convince men of three things. Their sin. There are people that say, well, I'm a sinner, but, but, I've met a rare group of people that say, I'm not a sinner. I've just met a handful in my life of that many. Most people say, oh, I'm a sinner. But are they convinced of sin God's way? What happens is Satan comes along before they can be convinced that their lying is, is a condemning sin, that their adulterating is a condemning sin, their fornication is a condemning sin, that their lust of heart is a condemning sin, that their envy and covetousness, that that has me condemned before a holy God. They come up with some reason, but I would say they don't come up with it, the devil does. Yes, God said the wages of sin is death, but don't you understand that's just talking about something different. How many of you know the excuses that Satan will feed your mind to get you to dismiss what God says in this book? Some of them are developed theories. And educated men have developed entire theories, high educated thoughts, these high ideas that men ponder upon and put forward so that it makes the Bible seem stupid and foolish, so that wayside ground seed is snatched up before it ever has a chance to take root. That's desolate ground. Number two, we come to deficient ground. Luke chapter 8, verse 6. And some, so some fell on the wayside, never, took, never was received, it was robbed by the devil. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Then he gives the explanation in verse 13. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with what? Joy. When they hear, they receive the word with joy. And these have, and I've underlined in my Bible the next two words, no root which for a while believe, all right? 1 Corinthians 15 is going to, to give some definition to that word believe. It says to believe in vain. There are those who believe in vain, all right? So, which for a while believe and in the time, in time of temptation fall away. So, it would be like this. Somebody says, hey, let's say I'm, I'm over on the other side of Lake Ponderay. And uh, let's say I was out on a boat. My boat got capsized and I swam to shore and I'm on this desolate place and some guy comes along in a boat and he hollers and says, hey you want to ride back to the other side 
And I say, yes. He says, if you'll get in my boat, I will safely get you back to the other shore. What happened? I say, I right near died out here. My boat capsized. I swam to shore. He says, oh, I can take care of you. If you'll come down here to the boat, he says, I'll, uh, I'll put you in. We'll go to the other side and I'll get you safely. And he says, my boat is big enough and sturdy enough. We won't capsize today. I've been working these waters for years and years. So I believe you. Oh, I've been answered my prayer. I've been over here desperate, hoping for someone to help. And I start weeping. Oh, thank you for caring for me so much. And I crawl in his boat. And he cranks the engine up. As he starts to take off, I think, what if we capsize? What if it doesn't work? What if I go under again? This time I drown. At least back here on the shore, I'm alive. I mean, I may starve to death, but I'm not drowned. And all of a sudden, a storm starts brewing up as we head out onto the lake. I go, hey, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. He says, what's wrong? I said, let me out of the boat. Here? Can you take me back to shore? I can, but... Man, you'll starve over there. There's no food. You're, you gotta get some help. You're cold. You're getting hypothermia. I promise you. I got blankets here in the boat. I promise you. I'll get you to the other side. He said, this boat has traversed worse storms than this. And I say, I, you know, I feel a little more comfortable back on shore. We get, I don't know, quarter of a mile out on the lake. And I say, no, no, no. I, I need out. I'm done. Take me back. Take me back. Turns the boat around. Says, okay. And I hop out and die of hypothermia. <laughs> and he takes his boat and crosses safely to the other side. Was I a believer? Nope. Even with, even, I shed tears. I told him I believed. I got in the boat, but I didn't get in the boat to stay. You with me? This is the ground we're on. It's deficient ground. It gives the appearance of acceptance of truth, but truly never does. The idea is that there is a surface reception, but there's absence of rooting. Meaning if you were to look at the surface, you'd say, hey, we're going to get a crop out of this ground uh, at our place. My boys can, can understand what I'm talking about. If you walk up by the grain bins after they have dumped the wheat or the barley or whatever they're putting in there, or sometimes canola, uh, the, the, the trucks, when they're going up the grain bins, they spill. And they'll spill on the driveway. And I've seen this happen repeatedly. I like spills. Can anybody imagine why I like spills? Spills attract wildlife. Because when they spill on the driveway, they bring up these little shoots of wheat. Oh, it's thick. But do you realize I've never seen them run a combine down the driveway to harvest that wheat? Do you know why? Because it immediately springs up. Some of it never springs up. The birds come and get it. I've watched it. It's one of the reasons I like it. You can go out and you can watch the birds. If they're birds that are in season and they taste yummy, you can shoot them. But otherwise, you can watch that and that little wheat or that canola will pop up. But by and by, as the vehicles drive over it, either the birds eat the seed or there is some that gets enough enough earth, it actually springs up. And out in the edge of the driveway, you'll see this green patch. And it's bright green, but I've never seen it get this tall. Never. Not one time. You know why? There's no moisture. It's in the it's in the driveway. It cannot get roots down in that brick hard soil. It's surface only. Listen to me this morning. There are people who are believers that have never been born again. They have heard the gospel. They say, 
Oh, that's wonderful. I can envision dying one day and going to hell. And who wants to do that? And I hear that Jesus died. That's wonderful. And they weep and they cry. And Oh, I heard one writer said, this is the emotional professor. Nothing wrong with emotion, by the way. But it's only emotion. It's only skin deep. There's no true heart conviction that what I heard is the absolute truth. May I say this this morning? Jesus Christ is either the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come unto the Father but by Him. He is either the only way of salvation, or He's no way at all. Hear me this morning. If you don't believe that, you need to let God help your heart today. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is another name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. If Acts chapter 4 verse 12 is not true, then God is a liar. My belief system is not a preference. It's an absolute truth, not because I believe it, but I believe it because it's truth. There is a head belief that says, yeah, I'll accept that. That's wonderful. I'm glad to be saved. I love, you know, I remember one day, it was a man, uh, he came into church, he sat back here somewhere, man, when the invitation came, he came up here bawling, crying, weeping. And he had been taught that you could be saved and lose it and saved and lose it. He had a very emotional experience. I never could get that man to be sure he was saved. I'd take him back to the Word of God. He wouldn't just take God at His Word and say, if I trust Christ, He'll save. His wife got saved. But I never could get him to see that the gospel is that God saves and that God gives eternal life. And to my knowledge, I, I end up doing the man's funeral. To my knowledge, I could not preach with clear conviction that I knew he was in heaven. He said, but pastor, he walked in Ohio. He shed tears, and he did. He was, he was distraught emotionally. He said right words. But you know, by and by, when faced with the truth, he'd back away. There was a, a pulling back of, of conviction that what was said was actually true. And I don't know the man's heart where it was before he died. He'd heard the gospel. I am saying this. There are people that can give an outward appearance that they believe the word of God when in the heart they really have never truly believed it. If I said to you, I was born July 10, 1980 at Ball Hospital in Muncie, Indiana. And that's the fact of my birth. If I said that to you and I said, you believe me? Well, yeah, I believe you. But what if it came down to you're testifying in court and you realize that giving this testimony of the date of my birth, and I cannot create a scenario where it would be so important, but that you know me and you know the date of my birth and you realize that if you stand with me on the truth of when I was born, likely you're going to get incarcerated because you're on the wrong side of some bad deal. Now, that may be a very poor and silly illustration. But the fact is, you say, I believe it. Well, it's easy to believe when there's no price tag for it. You with me? Those that are surface believers, the moment there's a price tag attached with believing the truth, they decide, well, I didn't really believe it. Someone says, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't... I, I, yeah, I heard all that when I was a kid. Yeah, I did this, did that. But the fact is, there are those who go through the outward form of believing. The Bible even uses that word. They believe for a while. Listen, they didn't lose their salvation. They never had it. They, you notice it said no root, meaning they received the word here, but they never believed it here. I want to explain very clearly Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou 
shalt be saved. For with the heart, listen now, with what? The heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I've got news for you. I accept the resurrection with my heart because I can't explain it with my head. I mean, I can tell you what happened. How many of you ever seen somebody raised from the dead? You've experienced that. Oh, I saw somebody shocked. I'm not talking about on the table. I'm talking about they were dead and in the grave three days and they came out. There's not a person in this room that's experienced that. So I don't believe it based on my experience. I believe it based on God's word and you too. My point is this this morning, the, the deficient ground, had it lacked moisture, meaning it, on the surface was that powder where the root could be hidden from the fowls, not stolen away, but it never took root down in because it was hard and dry. There was a dryness of heart, an unopenness of heart to receive the truth that was given. There was a surface reception, but an absence of rooting. Let me read you a number of verses that, that go along with this. The idea is that genuine faith is a continuing faith. Not you have to try to keep trusting, but genuine faith, let me put it this way. The Apostle Peter, who did he put his faith in? When asked who Jesus was, he said, Some say thou art John, one of the prophets. He said, But whom say ye that I am? And he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. After that point, would Peter have some problems? Oh, he had some major ones. Did he even deny publicly that he knew the Lord? While Judas was acknowledging he was a disciple, Peter's denying that he was one. (laughs) You had one guy lying and saying he was a believer when he wasn't, and the other lying saying he wasn't a believer when he was. Right? So here's Peter. I've got a question for you. When Peter is denying that he knew the Lord, was he lost? You know why he wasn't lost? Because Jesus said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, who preserves your faith in him? He does. So a genuine faith will be a continuing faith. You with me this morning? John chapter 8. John, I'm going to read a number of verses in succession and we'll move on. We're talking about, we've talked about the desolate ground, that's wayside, deficient ground, that's That's the shallow-rooted on stony ground. Hard hearts, open heads, hard hearts. Uh, But we read in John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus says this, John chapter 8, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. You know what he's saying? Some of you will pretend to be my disciples because it's popular. How many of you ever seen this? You ever gone to church camp and you watch people sit under the preaching and one young person walks the aisle because God's speaking to their heart and another one and all of a sudden you see some kids there looking around. Me too. And maybe you've got 50 kids go forward and everyone's excited as we should be. But two years later, only three of them are serving God. What happened? Was there something wrong with the message? Was there something wrong with that preaching? Heart. I remember the night I yielded my life to the Lord. God assured me He had saved me and that I was in sin by not living a life of obedience. Sixteen years old, almost seventeen. And I surrendered and said, All right, Lord, you've bought me. You have the right to run my life. That's the truth of it. And I was kind of, that was just the gist of it. There was eight of us young men in a room. And we sat there in a wonderful pastor named Bud Martin. He was part of my uh, ordination. 
Brother Mark still pastors today in Lafayette, Georgia. He was the pastor that was there. He said, boys, I want to talk to you. And a bunch of us had made decisions to serve the Lord. And he said, uh, I've seen this happen before. I said, I'm not trying to discourage you, but I'm going to challenge you. He said, a lot of emotion tonight, a lot of emotion. A lot of us were upset and crying. God had dealt with us. He said, but too many times I've seen that decisions like this are made. And he said, most of you won't follow through. He said, like that. He said, most of you won't follow through. He said, if you're serious, though, and you mean business with your decision of obedience to the Lord tonight, you'll follow through. Out of us eight boys, two of us are serving the Lord today. Two. He said, that's depressing. That's reality. The point is, why are not the others? What happened? And there's no, no credit to me or the other one that's serving the Lord. That's not the point. The point is, you'll see this pattern over and over of emotional outward responses. People may be flooding an altar. And then if you track what happens in the future, there's a number of them that as soon as it gets difficult to serve and follow the Lord... Well, they weren't as serious as stated. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Meaning you can say the words of a disciple. You can act the part of a disciple, but it's continuance of faith that is the revealer of that truth. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward the goodness if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. He's talking to the Gentiles, but the idea would be a genuine faith is a continuing faith. Colossians chapter 1 verse 23. Colossians 1 23. And that is to continue to trust in him. Colossians 1 23 says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereby Paul am made a minister. It seems like each one of these, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, Hebrews 3, 13 through 14, Paul's writing, or the penman is writing to those Hebrew uh, professors, and he understood that among, how many know this, when they came out of Egypt, there was what the Bible calls a mixed multitude among the people that left Egypt and were headed toward Canaan. Among those were people that didn't actually believe God. They just went with the crowd. I mean, I've got news for you. If persecution rises in this nation, we'll see more of what he's preaching about in Luke chapter 8. What persecution does is reveal where the Word of God is actually rooted versus where it is simply surface received. When it is popular to be a Christian, many may be, but when it's not, there's a revelation. There'll be a withering away where the Word of God is not actually believed in the heart to be true. We're living in a time where whether we actually believe this book is being put to the test. It is easy to say, I believe the Bible. It is easy to say, I believe it's inspired and inerrant and infallible. And I believe it is the very Word of God. And I believe that Jesus is the very Son of God. And I believe that He was born of a virgin. And I believe He raised from the dead. And I believe He's coming again. Anybody can read that's what it says. But do we believe that in the heart? Do we actually literally believe He's going to come back? His word says so. So you have desolate ground. There was rejection and robbery of the seed. There's deficient ground. There was a surface reception, but absence of rooting. It wasn't actually truly believed in the heart. May I say this? If you've never believed the gospel in your heart, I'm going to say this unequivocally, you're not saved. Hear me this morning. If you've never truly in your heart accepted that the gospel is fact, 
that God in the flesh did come in the person of Jesus Christ, that he was born of a virgin, that he did live a sinless life. He is a real and living person who raised from the dead and lives today. And if you don't believe that in your heart, you're not saved. No matter what, it does not matter what we can say and quote and what, uh, how much we can look and smell and act like a Christian, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. A dead Savior can't save anybody. If I'm not convinced that he's truly living, how can he save me? That's why it's so important the children hear the gospel. It's not hard for them to believe that Jesus is alive. So, well, that's because it's a fairy tale or naive. See, the only unbeliever would say that. Yes? Point is this this morning. There are those who are surface uh, receivers, but they, abs- they have absence of rooting. Uh, number three, the third ground. We've seen desolate ground, Luke 8, 5, and 12. Deficient ground, Luke 8, 6, and 13. Thirdly, we come to divided ground, probably the most applicable ground today. Luke chapter 8, verses 7. And 14, what a time when Bible knowledge is so available to people. The Word of God to American people is more available. (laughs) I mean, you get it on your phone. You can have it on your tablet. You can have it on your computer. Not to mention the sweet, precious, printed page we hold in our hands. I mean, we have the Word of God so available. And there are people that truly believe it. But how many people do you know that you can tell they believe the Bible simply by watching the way they live? It's, again, there's, we can profess, we can say, but you know what, if we believe what that book says, it ought to show up all over us. We really shouldn't have to, it shouldn't have to be explained, it ought to just show up. And yet, in so many ways, there's no fruit. You know, fruit is, is the product of something. When the Word of God is rooted in your life, it will produce decisions in your life. When it's in your heart, it'll produce decisions in your life. If you believe it's more blessed to give than to receive, your giving will show that. Not just money, time, energy, uh, strength, whatever we have that we can, whatever resources we can. If we believe that uh, we're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, we'll, we'll do that. We'll put spiritual things in front of physical things. We'll put uh, eternal things in front of temporal things. I'm going to tell you, you believe the Bible, it'll show up in your decision-making. Amen? Be a doer is the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves, we come to a divided ground. So why do you say divided? Because it was shared space. The ground was not shallow like that on the rock. It was not wayside ground. It wasn't desolate like that on the wayside. No, this is ground that the, the, the seed is able to act. It's soft. It has moisture. The seed can take root, but it never bears fruit. Now why? Well, because it's in competition with something else. Let's look at it. Verse 7. And some fell among thorns. Now, the thorns were already there, were they not? There was plenty of room for the thorns to take root, and the thorns were already there. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. If you've done any kind of gardening, you understand this. I've lost much grass in my lawn last year and the year before due to two things, knapweed and voles. And I mean, I have huge patches of dirt now from knapweed. I went out and killed it, and when I got done, there's nothing left but dirt. It cho- I mean, it chokes the life out of... If you, anybody know what I'm talking about? 
It sucks the nutrition out of the ground. It chokes life out of the plants that are there. That It actually kills the vegetation. Same here. What happens is we have other things in our heart. God's word is not to be shared ground. Our heart is the exclusive garden for the word of God. There's not room for the things, yet we have this divided ground. Verse 7, again, some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Verse 14 is the explanation. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked. Here's the thorns. Jesus actually defines what the thorns are. And are choked with cares and riches. And Matthew 13 says the deceitfulness of riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. May I say this? Can I get real practical? Here's what it looks like to have thorns. It's time for me to read my Bible in the morning and hear the Word of God. And I cannot concentrate on God's Word because I'm so worried about what's going on in the world. Am I going to get COVID this week? If I do, we'll have to have pneumonia. Now, we all have to battle this. Thorns creep up in anybody's life. Thorns are natural and they're the result of the sin curse. How many know that? Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. I'm sitting here trying to read my Bible, and I'm so filled with anxiety over the world that I don't even know what I'm reading. I better go pray, and I can't pray because I'm the finances. Oh, man. We, oh, money. Oh, we got to have, we need more. Uh, health, the kids. Uh, I mean, all the things in life, they chew on us. What happens is, cares may make it here, but they should never make it here. Let me repeat that. Cares might make it here. You can't help that. Things that worry us, worry us. The direction of our nation concerns me. I'm raising children. It concerns me. But you know what? I have promises in God's word that counteract the things I'm worried about. And that's the truth of it. I have things in my life that concern me. I've had to battle some concerns over the last two weeks that are they're real. And every time I battle them, the Lord repeatedly, be careful for nothing. <laughs> but what's the first thorn? Cares of this life. When I'm sitting here thinking about what's going to happen to my body or happen to my bank account or happen to my children, or, and I'm not thinking about what's going to happen when I step into the presence of Jesus Christ. I'm focused on what? Here. There's no room for the Word of God. When I can't sit through a sermon and give heed to what's actually being preached because I can't wait to get out to go do a fun thing I'm, I'm already planning to do. You hear me now? You know what's replaced church attendance in our day? ATVs and snow machines and ski slopes and television screens and football and couches and you name the pleasures of this life. We have no time for the boredom of church. And we say we love God. No, we're fooled. You with me? The cares of this life, the riches, and Matthew says the deceitfulness of riches. Riches make promises that they never deliver on. If I could get rich, I think I could be happy. Ask rich people if they'd be honest with you if they're happy. Rich people get rich and then all they do is sit around and get worried about losing it. You know it's true. Am I going to lose it? How are my kids going to... What are they going to do? They'll gather around my bed like a bunch of vultures just waiting for me to die. Right? Riches have wings. The Bible says they fly away. Boy, that's true. Ask the people that went through the Great Depression. 
They lost more in one night than it took them 60 years to gain. Riches have wings. They fly away. Riches lie. They promise happiness and deliver sorrow. Riches have a purpose. They're to be spent on good and godly things. They're not to be heaped up. We're not to labor to be rich. Riches are a deceitful thing. We think that riches will keep us safe and make us happy. We think they'll, that riches are the answer to our cares. If we had more finances, we could educate our young people better, right? We're throwing more money at educating our young people and turning out more fools than ever we did before. I know no better way to say it. Because we've rejected the fear of God, we could spend $100 per head and implement the fear of God and get far more done than we are now, but instead we believe that money is the answer. Money is a false God. It promises and cannot deliver. You buy something with your money and it breaks tomorrow, then what? We've all been there. You save up for six months to buy something, you buy it, and it was a piece of junk after all, and you didn't know it. Riches have wings, as we said, they fly away. Set not your heart on riches, God tells us. I'm trying to tell you, you know what? You know why the Word of God, why we cannot, why we can't give place to God's Word and it doesn't produce obedience in our lives? Because our hearts, we've let cares into our hearts. Worries and anxieties and fears. Oh, church, we need this this morning. We are living in a world that is getting darker. But listen, your light is no different than it's ever been. And I'm trying to tell you this this morning. I understand that Satan is going around saying, now in time past there may not have been a a, a right to be afraid, but you have every reason to be living in fear today. You have every reason to be living bold as a lion today. God is still on the throne. That's not a joke. It's not rhetoric. It's true. And one of these days He's going to come and we'll be glad we're serving Him when He does. And if we're not, we'll wish we had. I'm trying to tell you this morning what chokes out the Word of God, keeps revival from coming, keeps people from obeying God, is heart that is filled with fret and worry. Heart that is set on money and things. You young people hear me. You do whatever God tells you with your life, but don't you make getting rich your pursuit. So I'm going to say it that clear so that if you do, you'll be on record one day that you disobeyed the leadership of the man that God put in your life to preach to you. Money is not the answer to your needs. You follow God. He'll meet your needs money-wise. Don't pursue a career that will make you rich in the things of this world. No, you pursue the Lord and He'll take care of your needs. Why should we be different than our Savior? He wasn't rich in this life, but He succeeded greatly, did He not? My point is this. There's three things that are identified as thorns. Cares, riches, or the deceitfulness of riches. And what was the third one? The pleasures of this life. Now, James puts it this way. There is no, uh, it says, uh, uh, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, One twelve of James. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There is something about youth that lusts after pleasure. I just want to do things that are fun. Pleasure. Listen, God given us plenty of things in life that are pleasant and pleasurable. Has He not given us richly all things to enjoy? But we are a culture driven by the pursuit of pleasure. You know what the entertainment industry is? Producing exhilarating things to bring you momentary pleasure that lasts long enough until you want to go get more. (laughs) And what happens is if I can't listen to God's Word 
and obey God's word because I'm so bent on pleasure in my heart, then I got thorns in my heart. There's a number of things we could speak of about the thorny ground. It's divided ground. By that is, the seed fell into ground, but there was something else there already. There were cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, earthly riches, and the pleasures of this life were already had a hold of the heart. The heart was already giving root to those things. May I say this? The word of God will never choke out the thorns. Hear me? The word of God will never choke out the thorns. The thorns always choke out the word. There's only one thing to do with thorns in a thorny heart. The thorns have to be removed. Don't miss what I'm telling you this morning. They have to be removed. Good seed and thorns will not grow together at the same time without one of them dying. If you want your garden to grow and be healthy, you must remove the weeds. The thorns of your heart, the cares that you have need to be confessed to God as sin and need to be cleansed. The love of money needs to be confessed as the root of all evil. May I say this, you don't have to be rich to love money. I remember visiting, when I visited Nigeria, it's one of the things that stood out to me, a very poor country, but most folks really love money. They think that's their answer to success, money. And it's not. Thirdly, if you are a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God, then you're part of the perilous times we live in. First Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3 says, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And so then the divided ground, it received the seed. The seed was actually rooted. My personal belief on this is this represents a person who's a believer. They've truly believed God's word in their heart but because they're sharing their heart with love for this world, it can't bear fruit. Let me give you a number of texts. I want to go to Proverbs 24 before we conclude uh, with our final point. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. The Bible says, I went by the field of the slothful, by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with what? Thorns. Uh, that connects very well to our text. Lo, it was all grown over with thorns. And nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little slumber, a little sleep, a little slumber... A little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come. As one that traveleth not want as an armed man. It's almost as though the Lord is writing that to the churches in our age. A little sleep. I believe God's people in general have gotten spiritually lazy. I'm not being unkind this morning. I'm trying to be sharp and clear and to the point. I believe in our churches, and this church would be no exception to where we have let our stone wall break down. You know what that stone wall is about? It's not about keeping something in. It's about keeping things out. I've watched. Listen to me, please, this morning. And you're being patient. You're listening well. But please hear what I'm saying. I've watched as the belief of the world and, and, and God's people having separation be disintegrated. You know what a wall does? It creates a barrier. It creates a distinction. When I see a wall, my garden right now has this little makeshift fence. It wouldn't keep anything out if it wanted to push it over. 
But it did keep the deer out this year. They saw it and they backed off and they quit coming in. You know why I put that thing up? It defines where my garden is and it was helping keep things out that were robbing me of fruit. With me? In the Bible days, it would build stone walls to keep the foxes out and it would create a barrier where the weeds were easier to maintain and keep them outside the stone wall. But he went by the field of the slothful man and behold, it was all grown over with Thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. And I wonder if so many times the reason there's not a lot of effectiveness with the Word of God in our lives, we read it, we hear it, but the fruit, the product in our obedience is so lacking is because there are other things in our hearts. We've not been diligent. Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, meaning friend, listen, you've got to stay on top of your heart. You've got to stay on top of, if you're getting careful and anxious, say, oh, that's a sin. If you're getting filled with envy, oh, that's a sin. And you've got to go to the Word of God and let it wash that out of you, or your Word of God will quit bearing fruit in your life. If you're this morning, you're filled with care and you're filled with lust for pleasure, you ought to repent before the day is done, before the morning is done. Say, oh God, I have given my heart to things other than your word. Let me tell you this. How many understand what distraction is? There are times, I, I hate to admit this, but I might as well embarrass myself as anybody else. My wife will be talking to me. Now, I believe of all the human beings in the world, she ought to have my undivided attention when she, t- when she speaks. I believe that. It's my conviction. But there are days when we're riding in the car and I've just turned the news on and I just want to catch the news real quick. It's at the top of the hour, right? And she's saying something of great importance. Boy, I'm trying to hear that news. And we get done and I look up. and She doesn't get mad. She's sweet as she can be. I say, I'm very sorry. Can you please repeat what you just said? Because... I wasn't listening to you. I don't like admitting that because I want her to think that I'm always listening, right? How many you know what it takes to listen closely? It takes diligence. You have to put everything else out. The reason I couldn't hear her is because I was what? Listening to another voice. The reason we often cannot hear God is because we're listening to the, all the clatter of this world. Saying, come have fun. Come get rich. Oh, you have a lot to worry about today. You with me? We don't have an ear for the word of God. That's why Jesus said, if any man have an ear, let him hear. And I'll just say this. If that's not going to be the case, we've got to build a stone wall around our heart and say, I'm not, envy is not welcome in my heart. When it crops up, we're getting rid of it. And covetousness not, is not welcome in my heart. That's, that's a thorn. And when it pops up, I'm going to bring it to the word of God and God in prayer. And we're going to confess that and let God cleanse that. We're going to be diligent about the state of our heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence. James 4 says it this way. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. I've gone through this many times, so much that I'm convinced the Spirit of God wants us to hear this as a church. Colossians chapter 3, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. It doesn't say set your affection more on things above. First John 2, 15 and 16, Love not the world, Neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It doesn't say love the Father more than you love the world. The heart cannot be duplicitous with God. We can't be double. We've got to say my heart is exclusively for the Lord. By the way, if the Lord has your heart, everything else will be right. One thing. 
God wants single-heartedness, single-mindedness. Double ground is I love the world and I love Him. I'm listening to the world and I'm listening to Him. You tell me, based on the authority of God's Word, if I'm listening to both the cares, the deceitfulness of riches, and I've, and I've given place to that in my heart, if I have given a place to it where I'm entertaining these cares and I'm entertaining these and I'm pursuing the pleasures, which one's going to win? The thorns are going to win every time. Finally, finally, we've seen desolate ground, deficient ground, divided ground. We finally come to developed ground. Luke chapter 8, verse 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 8. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now we know that the heart of man is not inherently good. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. But a redeemed heart can be good ground. Right? And the good ground here speaks more of how we respond to what he says. How we respond to his word. If, if I do not have a heart that says I only want the truth. I don't want some fraud. I, I don't want to believe in a God that's not going to perform. I want the living God. I, I want the truth. I don't want a form of worship. I truly want to be a worshiper. I don't want to pretend I'm submitted. I want to be submitted. If I don't want the truth, God's word won't take root. It's got to be an honest heart, friend. It'll be a heart that says, I'll receive the truth even to my own hurt. If the truth makes me look bad, so be it. If the truth reveals that I am bad, so be it. I just want the truth. See, now I want Christ. Jesus said, I am the way the truth. John, uh, uh, Luke 8, 14, Luke 8, 15 says, But that on good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, do what? Keep it. It's rooted. They not only heard it, they say, I accept it as the word of God is true. Keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. I'll give you five things quickly about the developed ground. Number one, it's ready. This ground doesn't have thorns in it. This ground has been cleared of that. You know what? The quicker you can get out of love with this world, the better off you are. This world, look, what God created, enjoy it, use it for His glory, but don't fall in love with it. (laughs) It'll disappoint you. You can't keep it. Amen? Don't love it. We're not to love the the temporal things. So the ground was ready. It was thorn-free. It's not shallow. It's not wayside. It's ready ground. It's retaining a moisture. It was receptive. The Bible says the good ground, the honest, kept the Word of God. So therefore, it's retaining. But I don't want you to miss this. It's patient ground. The Bible says they bring forth fruit with what? Patience. We're told that one of the marks of success is that you not only can get things done, you can get them done now. Are you willing to wait on the fruit of your decisions till you step into heaven? Abraham was told that he would be a great nation. You know how many were in his nation when he died? One one son. Now, he had sons from Keturah, his concubine. He had sons from Hagar, or son. So they had, but when, when Abraham died, Isaac didn't have children. Your, your seed will be as the stars of heaven. Ooh, there's just one star in heaven. <laughs> the Bible says in Hebrews 11, of he and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, these all died having not received the promise. But they died believing they would. You know what? Living God's way is not instantaneous gratification. I am bearing fruit today. Number one, 
I am reaping from decisions I made when I was 12 and 13 and 14. You know what I'm talking about? He that soweth his flesh shall love the flesh, reap corruption. Anybody else ever reap the decisions you made 30 years ago and you reap them in your mind and you reap them in other ways? Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's not punishment. That's sowing and reaping. Ah, but you know what the good side of that is? There was a point where I started sowing to the Spirit. <laughs> and today, there are joy, there's joy from decisions. I rejoiced this morning, a decision I made in July of 1997. But that decision is just, you know, at times there's vindication. And then there's vindication. Meaning, you got to wait on good fruit. You know, it's not instant gratification. You're not going to go out and... Sp- yeah, and make a decision today. What happens if, well, I made a decision to obey the Lord today. I expect tomorrow my life will be all better. No, it won't. That's the people on stony ground. You may wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14 says, Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. When, if we're going to bear real, genuine fruit, you have to have patience. We may have to wait 20 years to see the fruit of a decision of faith. We may have to wait 20 minutes, but that's rare. Some decisions of faith will not be rewarded until eternity. Yes? So those with good ground, they are receptive to God's word, retaining of God's word, patient, meaning you're not going to quit believing what God said because it's difficult. Be, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Finally, they're, of course, productive. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Paul explains his readiness to depart. He said, the time of my, I'm now ready. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course, so on. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not unto me only, but unto them also that, all them also that love his appearing. You know what I believe? The good ground are those that have their hearts set on eternal things. If I think that believing God's word is going to make my life better in this life, I'm a shallow-rooted Christian. There are many today who preach, Oh, come, come, make your decision today. Your income will double by next year. Charlatans and liars, every last one. What about Peter? He came and followed and got crucified. What about Paul? He came and followed and died with his head lobbed off. Well, that's health and welfare for you. He said, boy, you're really encouraging us. You know what? Paul died knowing that the moment he left to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. Wouldn't you like to know that the way you died is going to give you a glorious entrance into the presence of God? That's what these men were convinced of. You see, if the word of God and believing it is only about a better life now, Never bear fruit. If it's just about, well, it'll help me get more things in this life. No, you never bear fruit. If it is God's word is true and it cannot fail, whether I see it succeed in this life or I have to wait until eternity, I know believing God is always right because God cannot lie. Now, that's the good and honest heart. You with me this morning? Which kind of ground am I? Is the seed taking root in a heart that's honest and good? If, I'm waste, if you're wayside ground, I don't think you ever know it. But you could be this morning and say, you know, I, I, it's just possible if somebody here say, you know, I've gone through all the outward motions, but I have not from my heart believed the gospel. And the Spirit of God's dealing with me about that today. You may know someone like that. So what can we do? Pray for them. 
God knows how to break up fallow ground, does he not? Does he not know how to break stony hearts? Again, read Psalm 107. God knows how to use circumstances to break hearts. This morning, you may be here and say, you know what, I got some thorns. The Word of God seems to have so little effect on me. I'll make a decision that lasts a day. I'll make a decision that lasts a little while. You ask yourself, what is competing with God in your heart? What momentary love do you have that's replacing the love for the eternal God who made you and saved you? I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're unsaved. Never believe in the gospel. You can't get saved until you believe from your heart the truth concerning Jesus Christ. You may be this morning and say, I'm saved, but I'm not bearing fruit. However, God is applying the message to your heart. We don't need to just think about it. Look, don't let Satan steal the seed away. We need to act upon it by faith, knowing that you never go wrong, trusting God's work. Mm-hmm.